Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Adam, you sound different. This week, the part of Adam will be played by me, as he is off for the night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to Agent 47. I mean, episode 47. But, hey, the show still has big, bald, white dudes as protagonists, so... The only thing missing is a head tattoo. Um, now I'm kind of sad because that's a Hitman video game reference and Adam isn't here to make light of it. Oh, see, I thought it was a Bret Hart reference. The best there was, the best there is, the best there ever will be. Um, but, you know. It's more like we're the okayest there was, the okayest <laughs> there is, and the okayest there ever will be. As long as but if we had the barcode head tattoo, then we would be the best. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Well, if you missed last episode, you should really check it out when the gang and I talked about the old school Game Boy versions of Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow. Almost a rainbow, but not quite. (laughs) With our special guest, Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. You can find that and all our past episodes at www.datingourselvespodcast.com, on iTunes, Google Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. We really appreciate our listener support. And one of the best ways to show that support is by leaving a written five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform about our show. If you'd like to leave us a five-star written review, uh, we would definitely love to read it on the air as a way to say thanks. But enough about that. Let's get started. This week, I'm going to be leading a discussion on the WB Network, not to be confused with its current successor that was founded in 2009, the WB Channel. This topic was submitted by Megan of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, I guess I never realized that the WB Network, better known as the WB, and the WB Channel were different things. I So, is WB Channel different than CW, which is on the current broadcasting channel that WB Network was previous? It is different, actually. Um, because, I did not Yeah, because the CW... We'll get into that in a little bit, but the CW started right as uh, the WB ended in 2006, mm-hmm. um, whereas the WB channel started in 2009. I have no idea what their content is at all. Um, we haven't had cable in like two years, so I have no idea what, what that entails. But I do know that they are different, and I didn't know until I started researching this topic <laughs> that that had happened. And I didn't actually know that the CW was what the WB channel turned into either. Um, so spoiler alert, <laughs> you don't have to listen to the rest of this episode now because that's the punchline. But there's a lot of fun fun <laughs> steps on this journey along the way too. So if you're into the, the delivery as opposed to just the punchline, you know, stick around. There'll be some fun stuff. Fair enough. Well, remember, we will pick next week's topic at the end of the episode. It will be Nostalgia Combat! Nostalgia Combat! Me and the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which I am way too giddy to talk about, versus Adam and guess who? I give up. Who, Paul? No, that's literally the name of the board game. Oh. But... Okay. (laughs) Regardless, we will visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get another topic for Brian. So, Brian, tell us about Warner Brothers.
Or the uh, In Living Color skit. <laughs> yes, it, the In Living Color skit is actually what made me think of it. <laughs> it it's really funny, because I, I haven't seen In Living Color in probably 15 years or so. Uh, and the other day, I actually had to go get a, a sleep study done. It's one of those overnight things where they stick a bunch of stuff on your head. They, they measure how you sleep and make recommendations from there. Well, they had a TV in the room, and they just happened to have a marathon of In Living Color on. So I just sat there <laughs> and watched for, gosh, a long time. A long time. So it's probably not how a sleep site is supposed to work, but that's okay. <laughs> So uh, all you have to do is say the name of the show and the theme song will be stuck in my head for the next three days. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and much like you, I haven't watched In Living Color in probably 20 years. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm trying to think because FX re-ran it uh, when FX first became a thing. And mm -hmm. I really don't think I caught much of it until it like came back on. I don't think I watched much of it in its original run. Yeah. I mean, it came out, was it like 90 to 94 or 95 or something like that. So, I mean, we would have been under the age of 10, uh, when it was doing its original air. So, I mean, I definitely remember seeing it, but it was yeah. always like something like my parents were watching. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so some of those really iconic, uh, uh, you know, so homie, obviously, um, the I Love Laquita, that was it, where they did like an I Love yeah. Lucy. And uh, yeah, th there's some really good ones with that, with like the with the cable guy that comes over and she thinks that he's a, a record producer. Um, <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the WB channel, uh, which is what our actual topic is. Jeez, folks. It's kind of related. It's, it's kind of related because um, there was a lot of there's a lot of weigh-ins weigh on both. Yes, I was just going to say that. So the WB TV network, better known as the WB, uh, was an initially launched January 11th, 1995. For some reason, it was founded November 2, 1993. So I'm not sure what happened in the in-between, but, uh, but it did get up and running in uh, early 95. It was a joint venture between Warner Brothers or Time Warner uh, and Tribune Broadcasting. The network in general basically targeted the age demographic of ages 13 to 34 for the majority of its content. And then there was some weekday and Saturday morning programming for kids like ages 7 through 12, which was called Kids WB. They didn't really have a whole lot of things programmed, programs programmed, I guess, for um, anyone really <laughs> 40 and up. That just wasn't really anything that they specialized in, at least not until much later in their run. And then after ratings started, and I would say in their heyday, they knew their market well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There was a lot of iconic shows from that time period. Yeah. I mean, to the degree that I, I didn't realize how many were, because I remembered, you know, I remember watching sister, sister and, uh, was mm -hmm. it smart guy? I remember watching those shows and those were, you know, more targeted towards a, a younger like kid audience or early teenager audience. Um, but I didn't realize that a lot of these other shows that I've seen many episodes of got their start on that network. And we'll definitely dig into some of those in just a little bit. So for the launch on January 11, 1995, the very first show, as, uh, as Paul mentioned, uh, was the Wayans Brothers. That was a sitcom starring Marlon and Sean Wayans. Um, so just... Typical situational goofy stuff that you can expect from the Wayans brothers. Um, and then during the 
commercial break of the show, you had Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, both Warner Brothers characters, arguing over who should introduce the channel and who is the appropriate person to do that. And do you remember who ends up introducing the channel? I don't. Oh, uh, Michigan J. Frog. Michigan J. Frog. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. Um, yeah, so Michigan J. Frog, for those of you who don't remember, he's a he's a singing frog with a top hat and a cane and like the little uh, tuxedo vest and stuff like that. Um, he initially made his premiere in the world in 1955 on a Looney Tunes slash Merry Melodies animated short called One Froggy Evening. Um, do you remember this? I'm sure you must, Paul. So I remember the skit. I don't know if I've seen the original, but I remember, you know, the general idea is a guy finds a frog that can sing and dance, but he'll only do it when no one else is around. Exactly. Exactly. So this guy, hears this frog and he's doing all these like show tunes and stuff like that. And he takes him to a talent agent and he does all this different stuff. And as soon as he gets in front of other people, he just turns into a regular frog and eventually he gets locked away and they put him into a, a, a mental health facility with the frog. And then eventually he gets out and brings the frog back to where he finds it. And then they fast forward a hundred years into the future, which is really, really very close to modern times, 2055. Um, and someone else finds the same frog miraculously still alive and still has a fantastic baritone voice. So who knows how that happens, but, um, they just don't make frogs like they, they sure don't. They sure don't. Um, and I remember in a lot of those old cartoons, like frog legs used to be something that people would eat at fancy restaurants. And I can't think of seeing any restaurant in like the last 10 years where I've ever seen frog legs on the menu. You're just not eating at the right locations. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Wendy's is a pretty fancy establishment. I don't know. But anyway. Hank's Oyster Bar by you has frog legs. Oh, they do. I didn't know that. They do. I will have to check that out. See, Paul knows my neighborhood better than I do. <laughs> so it's, before we come off the topic of one froggy evening, there was uh, this little known filmmaker named Steven Spielberg uh, that considered one froggy evening to be the Citizen Kane of animated shorts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> I'm assuming that... Um, you know, Steamboat Willie must have been Gone with the Wind or something like that. But I think it still speaks highly of how iconic that was for, for Looney Tunes, for animation, and um, for the brand specifically of, of Warner Brothers. Uh, Steven Spielberg is uh, also very, very closely related. I'm not exactly sure how um, to the Warner Brothers company. So... Um, and you, you see, I know they produced most of his movies, but yeah, that, that could be it. That could be it. And I know a lot of the, the cartoons of the time. So be it Animaniacs or Freakazoid or Tiny Toon Adventures, all of those things, he would make animated cameos in almost all those shows, you know, at least once or twice every season. So, um, yeah. So Michigan J Frog ends up becoming the mascot of the WB and both Bugs and Daffy and a lot of the other Looney Tunes characters as well, Taz, Sylvester and Tweety, they all tend to be part of the marketing as well during commercial breaks and, and things like that. Um, 
in January 2006, we're going to fast forward all the way to the end now, um, Warner Brothers and CBS announced the shutdown of the WB, which is when they announce they're going to be starting later in the year, uh, a new channel called CW. So um, the last... And I remember that being like a huge moment in history, uh-huh. uh, mostly because I didn't have much of a life at that point. <laughs> but it... That is the first and only television network that I can remember to just go off air. Yeah, yeah. At least in a broadcast network sense. I mean, there have been cable channels that have come and gone or at least changed into other channels. But that's the only one I can ever think of to a broadcast channel that's just sort of evaporated in my lifetime. Yeah, it's it's pretty unusual, uh, especially when we start getting into some of these shows and how successful a lot of them were, it's, it's unbelievable that, that it would have ended the way that it did. And so their last day airing, so they made the announcement in January. It wasn't until September 17th of 2006 that they actually said their farewells. They did a whole bunch of special programming, kind of thanking everyone for their viewership. Um, And then the very next day, CW launched. Um, And they took some of the programming when they also created some of their own unique original programming as well for CW and kind of the remaining popular programming that was from WB ended up going to rival UPN. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's basically what I have in terms of my history lesson. So Paul, what what are some of your memories of the WB? So when I think of the WB, the very first thing I think of is the show Roswell. Yes, that's a great show. Which was which was one of the or one of the few shows to survive the you know evaporation of um, the WB network, but it was very iconic of the time. Uh, to me, the setting, I mean, even though it was a sci-fi show, the setting of the show kind of summed up what it was to be a teenager in the 90s to 2000 transition. Mm-hmm. Just the, you know, the sets, the characters, and things of that. And it's one of those things, like, you know, there are certain shows that they're like a snapshot in time that you can pinpoint specifically to a snapshot in time. And I very much feel like Roswell is one of those shows. Wow, yeah. Gosh, I haven't seen it in years. And I had basically all but forgotten about it until I was doing research for this. And it literally jumped off the Wikipedia page. Well, obviously not literally, but... Like I, I was completely drawn to it. I was like, oh my gosh, is this the show I think it is? And I clicked, and I'm like, absolutely. Uh, and I, I absolutely agree because you know, being a teenager at that time, um, it definitely captured things in a very unique way that a lot of other shows really weren't. Um, and I don't really know what their secret formula was. And I think both you and I have always been pretty big science fiction fans as well, too. So that's certainly helps with the appeal department yeah i think what the network did very well is they catered to a teenage audience i mean that was their market audience but i mean they had dawson's creek which was you know the competitor to 90210 Mm -hmm. but to me like dawson's creek felt more realistic it wasn't uh I mean, it was still 30-year-old teenagers, but (laughs) the storylines felt more, I mean, it was overly, you know, dramatized and your standard soap opera, but it felt more realistic to me than teenagers living in Beverly Hills. 
Absolutely. I I can't relate to Beverly Hills, but I can relate to Dawson's Creek. Yeah, I think I think that that's accurate, you know, and then, and then it came out like at the same time or maybe a little bit before shows like The OC and things like that as well. And I think that that yeah. kind of, you know, like you mentioned, I think it was kind of a, uh, a genre definer. So even though there were shows that came before and after it, I think it really stood on its own as being something kind of special. Um, and something that people that are that are our age still talk about today, where I feel like a lot of times, you know, 90210 and, and some of those other shows, you know, with the exception of Paul, Party of Five, um, a lot of those shows have, you know, other than in name, have kind of been forgotten a little bit. So, yeah. The one thing that we skipped right over that we should have started with is the show that put the WB on the map for our age bracket. It's a show that everybody watched, but no one would admit it until they were in their 30s, and that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep. Oh, yeah. And that's another one that I did not realize started off on this network, because I definitely watched at least the first three or four seasons, like a dozen times, um, and probably the whole series at least once. But it's one of those shows that there's so many great people that got their start from that show. You know, you talk about oh, yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller. Sarah Michelle Geller. Yep. Um, what's his name? James uh, Mar- Masterson. Masterson. Uh, Marsters, something like that. Yeah, I can't. It was such a uniquely written program, too. I, I think that that show was it was funny, but it was scary and there was drama I don't know. It was, it was, I think, really well done. Um, and even though it was written for like... It a t- started that trend of taking a mediocrely successful movie and showing that it could play to a catered audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, for a long time, uh, content had to prove itself in a TV show form, and then maybe years later we'd get a mediocre movie. And somehow they took a movie that was, it performed well, but let's face it, the Buffy movie is not the greatest. No, definitely. And they kind of took that story and then played it into a teenage soap opera. And it just worked so perfect. And some of that is the cast. They found the right people for the right amount of camp for the roles. Yep. And they turned it into must-see TV. Right. And I think that that's something that they really did well is having... um, that right amount of like legitimate drama and emotion, but also having like the over the top drama of soap operas and kind of the campiness of like a a horror B movie. Um, And they found a great way to kind of thread it all together. Yeah. And they, and they still have the, like you said, the B movie. So it had the cheesy one liners that were absolutely perfect. Yes. Oh yeah. 100% nailing those. I think it's also interesting to, to point out that Warner Brothers was operating um, a not very well-remembered network in present, but the primetime entertainment network was a huge deal back then at the same time. And I think that that kind of helped launch the success of, of some of these other shows as well. Because a lot of times when things would go into syndication or reruns or things like that, a lot of times the WB would pick those shows up too. So Yes, and they did a really good job of... I, I think they produced shows for syndication and then gave them first run on WB and then Cartoon Network and then later UPN would pick them up. Oh, I mean, a lot of channels would like ABC Family would pick them up, mm-hmm. TNT, uh, Fox. There was a lot of back and forth between them and Fox because I think Ally McBeal at one point was on both networks. Um, I want to say, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember what... Uh, 
I feel like the PJs was on both networks too. The, yes. the Claymation Eddie Murphy uh, show. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting kind of how all those things tied together like that. So there's some shows that we've already discussed that are on my list. You know, so obviously Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dawson's Creek, um, the Wayans Brothers, the PJ, Sister Sister, Smart Guy, Roswell. I mean, the, the amount of shows that, I don't know, I, I consider to be like genre leaders. Like the Gilmore Girls, for example, is something that people Girls, still watch Felicity. to this day. Felicity, another big one. Um Everwood was big. One Tree Hill was huge. Uh, Smallville was fantastic. I think probably one of my favorite uh, Superman adaptations. Although I am a big fan of of the uh, the Adventures of, of Lois and Clark. Lois um, and Clark. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Since WB owned DC at the time, they did a great job of taking their properties that they that weren't necessarily going to perform well on the big screen and experimenting with them as TV shows. And a lot of those only lasted one season, but some of them were pretty good. One of my favorite shows that almost never, no one has ever seen was called birds of prey. Are you familiar with that show? No, not at all. I saw it on the list and I assumed it was like a uh, wild e discovery type thing. I, I had no idea what it was. So Birds of Prey is about the Huntress, who is, in the context of that show, is Batman's daughter. Oh, interesting. And it was the first female-driven superhero show that I can recall. Wow. Um, Was was it live action or was it animated? It was live action. Okay. It was primetime live action. It only made it one season. I believe it was 18 episodes. Hmm. It it aired sporadically and it didn't uh, survive the ending of the network. Hmm. But uh, Barbara Gordon played the Oracle. So in the comic books, for those who are familiar with Batman lore, um, in the comic The Killing Joke... The Joker uh, shoots um, Barbara Gordon. He doesn't know she's Batgirl. He just knows that she's Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Uh And he shoots um, Barbara Gordon and paralyzes her, which causes Batman to lose it and nearly kill the Joker. And it's kind of like a pinnacle point in Batman lore. I mean, as far as the development of his character. Right. From that point on, because she can no longer be Batgirl, uh, Barbara Gordon uh, takes on what's called the Oracle. And she kind of becomes the eye in the sky or the voice, the man in the chair, to quote the new Spider-Man movie, (laughs) for all of the superheroes in the uh, DC universe. And this was the first adaptation. It was also the only adaptation to feature Mark Hamill as the voice of the Joker. They had a different body actor play him. But in the first episode, when they're explaining the backstory, they do a quick, like, 30-second intro, and they show the Joker, and Mark Hamill does the voice, and it's very iconic. Wow, that's awesome. No, I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it. I saw it on a list of shows. I was like, I don't remember that one. We can probably skip over that. But I'm glad that you didn't, because that sounds like something that if I can find online, I'm definitely going to be watching at some point in the coming weeks. You can watch, um, the only place I know that carries it is DC universe. It's their streaming service, but they have every episode of birds of prey. That's something I've been, um, 
toying with the idea of, of paying for the membership, you know? It's like, gosh. Highly recommend it, not to offshoot too much, but the original content that they're coming out with for that is amazing, as well as you can watch everything DC, even new movies, the day they're on video, you can watch them on DC Universe. Wow. That's great. That's awesome. All the bat flex. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Um, yeah, so that's, that's an awesome show that I completely forgot entirely about and I don't think I've ever seen, but that sounds like something I need to see. Um, did you ever see the show Gross Point? I heard of it. I never watched it. So Gross Point is basically, so if, if Dawson's Creek was meant to be a direct competitor of 90210, this is supposed to be like a send up, like a parody of 90210 and it's based in gross point michigan so the actual show itself is based in los angeles on a film set with actors and actresses playing these spoiled brat teenagers um in this very affluent michigan suburb and it's basically like all the behind the scenes stuff that goes on when you're making a show like a 90210 or a dawson's creek or a party of five um very funny and being from Michigan having that gross point connection is extra funny that they like picked that of all of the Beverly Hills (laughs) and Miami beaches and Hamptons of the world and stuff they picked they picked gross point Michigan so I always thought that was not get any further away from Beverly Hills definitely not uh, definitely not Michigan (laughs) (laughs) although if you're gonna pick a place in Michigan to be like Beverly Hills gross point is about as close as you're going to get. So, but yeah, so some of the other shows that I've always enjoyed as well, there was an animated series, once again, that did not last very long called The Oblongs. Do you remember that? I do. I remember it more from its Cartoon Network run when they moved it to Adult Swim, but uh, I do remember it. I loved that show. Yeah, it was it was terrific. So for people who haven't seen it, and I don't know, I, I can't tell if I can call it politically incorrect or not um but basically it's about a family and they all live in this valley that is constantly being bombarded by pollution and radioactivity and it has made all of them deformed or disabled in some way so like the the father of the family has no arms or legs and he basically like hops around like like somebody would in like a gunny sack race um, you know, there's, there's Siamese twins in the family. I'm trying to remember what some of the other characters were. Um, but the wife was from the hills. So, and in the hills, they live above the pollution and the radiation. So they're all the, the beautiful people that live up there. And she ends up marrying, I think his name is Bob. She ends up marrying yep. him, um, and moving into the valley. It's an interesting show. They, uh, they canceled it early. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to get too into that yet because that's part of my question, perhaps. But I always thought the show was really funny. It, it's it's funny in that uncomfortable. Like I don't know if I should be laughing at this funny. What was there? There was a show on Comedy Central that was a bunch of knockoffs of famous cartoons that all live together, like the Surreal Life, basically. Oh. What was the name of that show? Uh, it's not Total Drama Island because that was the Cartoon Network version. Yeah, I can't... But I can see it, but I can't think of the name of it. Crap. Yeah, hold on. I'm going to look this up. 
Because it has a similar sense of humor as that does. Um, so I was going to compare it to a uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah, it, it does a little it, bit. It's like a toned down, um, like a toned down Aqua Teen. It's it's that style of humor, but Aqua Teen is like very over the top. But Oblongs is more of that style of delivery for the comedy, but it's much more. It's it's somewhere between Married with Children and Aqua Teen. It like settles in the middle. Mm-hmm. Where it's got the family drama piece, but they're like a Munsters type family. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and the show I'm thinking of is I think it's called Drawn Together. That's it. Because and it they did like a, a movie for it that was absolutely horrible. Yes. Yes. <laughs> really, really <laughs> bad. Um yeah, because there's like a there's like a fake Betty Boop character and a fake Superman yep. and a fake Link and a fake Pikachu and they like all live together in a house. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, Oblongs was funny. Um, some other shows, uh, Charmed is another one that I think still people really enjoy. Um, that they started... just rebooted it on the CW. Oh, there you go. Just this year. Um, yeah. Have you never watched Charmed? I, I have not, but I know a lot of people are, are really, really into it. Same thing with Gilmore Girls. I've never seen Gilmore Girls, but I know a lot of people For love shame. it. I know. And and everyone keeps telling me it's it's really great. There's just so much damn content, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to get to all of it. Um, and then there was All About the Andersons, uh, which yep. was really great. Um, I can't think of what his name is now. He's now in Blackish. He's the lead actor in that. Um, but he was the star in that show as well. Anthony Anderson. That's it. I knew the last name. I, <laughs> it wasn't Louis Anderson. I knew that too. Um, <laughs> he was on the last two seasons of Law and Order after, um, ah, who was the, uh, Wal, Walbeck? Wal, the guy that played the candlestick in uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. Jerry Walbach? I, I think, think it is. is. I think it is, yeah. So he in real life uh got throat cancer and couldn't do the show anymore and anthony anderson replaced him on law and order and it was such a different role for him that i was just intrigued by it and it made me fall in love with law and order all over again oh that's awesome I, i'll need to check out some of those episodes because law and order is yeah, one of those was... shows there's just so much so many of them and so many different varieties and universes of law and order i don't know I gotta, I gotta check more of that out though. <laughs> Charmed first. Charmed then first. More girls. Yeah. Then Law and Order. <laughs> wow, I got a lot, to, lot to watch. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, there was also a lot of really great content in terms of. Um, There's a lot of like country content, if you remember. Like Reba had her show um, yep. on the WB. You also had the. Uh, the guys from the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. I can't think of what the show is called now. It's like the Blue Collar Show or something like that, or Blue Collar TV or something. But it was. I remember the Bill Engvall show. So, so Bill Engvall was in it. Larry the Cable Guy was in it, and uh, Jeff Foxworthy was in it. But um, Ron White was not. I'm assuming he was somewhere drinking scotch and betting on ponies. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, so but... I remember that show, but I thought it was on Comedy Central. And that's the thing, um, is it may have been um, 
sent to Comedy Central for reruns or something like that. But it definitely uh, started definitely started on the WB. Just like I think I think Reba was eventually on ABC Family as well. Yeah, um, you also had the the Jamie Kennedy experiment, which I had forgotten entirely about. I kind of forgot entirely that Jamie Kennedy was even a person. Um, because he was in a he's movie. He's in the Tremors franchise now. That's the only thing I know he's doing. Yeah, and he was in a movie um, back in the early 2000s where he was like a white rapper. I can't remember what the name <laughs> of that movie is now. Malibu's Most Wanted. I think that is what it is, yeah. Because there's another movie that's similar to it, but it's got um, Seth Green in it, and he basically dresses like Jamie Kennedy. It came out right about the same time. I can't think of what that's called either. So... Um, can't hardly wait. I forgot all about can't hardly wait. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, so there was that. Jimmy Fox had his own show on the WB as well. There was a few reality shows as well. So Pop Stars, the American version, was aired on the WB. Um, I think it originally started in New Zealand or something like that. Um, and then probably one of the most cringeworthy reality shows looking back on 2005 uh, is Beauty and the Geek, which is basically <laughs> like the contest version of uh, Big Bang Theory. So <laughs> a bunch of beautiful women and a bunch of nerds. And then it turns out that, oh, well, I guess nerds aren't as bad as we thought they were. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I got a whole bunch of other shows listed here, but are there any others that you really like really connected with you or any others that you remember? So... I remember Drew Carey had that green screen show that was kind of off of the success of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yep. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I remember from that, it was, so on Whose Line Is It Anyway, they did this skit where they called it something newscasters, and they would have to stand in front of a green screen and read the news or make up a news story while be giving clues of what's going on behind them. And then they won the contest by guessing what was projected on the screen. And this was a whole show that was a takeoff of that. And the only joke I remember from it was um, uh, Colin Mockery holds out a tin can and walks up to an audience member and goes, uh, two cents, third show for Drew Carey? Because <laughs> <laughs> that was at the height of Drew Carey when he had the Drew Carey show and then Who's Line and this came shortly thereafter. Yeah, well, I mean, you could say he's still on a rise, man, now doing uh, The Price is Right and everything too. So the guy's crazy. Um and it's always blown my mind that he was in the army, I want to say. And you can see pictures Marines. of him. Marines. There you go. And you can see pictures of him when he was young. And he's like, he looks like a hard ass. But you can kind of see that there's like a fat guy that makes caffeinated beer in there somewhere, you know? Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. Um, it's definitely, definitely interesting. I, I always love that green screen bit too. Because just to kind of add on to what you were, what you were already saying is that there'd be two like quote unquote news anchors that would see the green screen and see the image on it and the whole audience would see what was on it. But then there'd be like one or two people in front of the green screen that had no idea what it was. And they just had to make it sound like a convincing news story, like they could tell what it was. Um, And there's always ridiculous stuff like puppies wrestling or like someone like filing their nails. I mean, it, it could be literally anything. Um, and 
you'd have to guess what it was based on the questions from your quote unquote news anchors. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, some others that I'll, I'll just go through really quick and you can stop me if any of these, um, you know, were shows that you watched or anything like that. Um, the Help was on in 2004 for a single season. Um, you also had Parenthood, which is one of the first shows that aired on the on the network from 95 to 99. Life with Roger, you had Kirk. Um, fairly recently, you had Vampire High, which I think was only for a season. Simon. Um, and then to pivot into Kids WB. So they did have uh, content that was entirely made for kids. I guess I never realized that that's kind of how Pokemon came to the United States was through the yeah. WB. I had always assumed it must have been Cartoon Network or I feel like um, I feel like Nickelodeon did like a, a specific like anime segment at one point where they had like three or four shows back to back and they did, you know, Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender, Dragon Ball Z. And I always thought Pokemon was like in that too. But apparently WB was the originator of that this side of uh, of the Pacific. So at the uh, so Fox Kids had a lot of these rights, but the shows were actually produced by Warner Brothers, sold to Fox Kids, and with the popularity of WB Saturdays, uh, they brought a lot of those over to, or they brought a lot of those over to WB Network and uh, Cartoon Network. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. And so they, what they would do is a lot of them would be first-run Cartoon Network, and then they would syndicate them on WB so they could spread the toy market out because not everybody had cable. Oh, that that makes sense. And at the height of, um, or sorry, at the height of WB, Warner Brothers owned Hanna Barbera, they owned Cartoon Network, and they owned. Um, they owned USA Network, so a lot of these shows would kind of move around. But some of the shows that got syndicated on WB at the start were like 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Captain Planet, mm-hmm. and some of those lesser-known WBs. But then they started bringing over the DC um, stuff, too. So you remember Batman the Animated Series, the classic Fox Kids show we covered in Episode 2? Yep, yep. So the reason that that show only lasted a few seasons was because it was Warner Brothers produced and they started moving all their content over to WB Kids. Hmm. Okay. So seasons three onward of Batman the Animated Series became uh, the new Batman Adventures and then later the Batman Superman Adventures when they started introducing the Superman cartoons. Oh, wow. I guess I never realized that. And then Batman Beyond, same thing. Batman Beyond was purely a WB show. It skipped Fox Kids entirely. And I always thought that Batman Beyond was a movie. And I've, I've always been mistaken in that. <laughs> like, I always assumed it was one of the ones that came out with, like, Jim Carrey or something in it. But that was Batman Forever. And I was like, well, maybe it's the one yep. with uh, with Arnold in it. Like, nope, that's uh, that's Batman and Robin. It's like, well, gosh. But it was it was an animated series. Yeah. Yep, wow. Batman Beyond was uh, Terry McGinnis as Batman, and Bruce Wayne uh, was an old man who was guiding Terry McGinnis through the world of Batman. Oh, cool. I've and it had seen the that. new That's... suit with the wings and no cape, and uh, was very modernized. I'll have to check that out. That's another one I've never seen. Oh my gosh. My oh, list... it, was a, it was a great cartoon. Yeah, my list is getting 
extensive. <laughs> um, so some other uh, animated shows. Oh, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, we're, we can't skip over the Animaniacs, which was removed from Fox Kids mid-run and brought over to WB. Yep, yep. So Animaniacs was definitely on there. There was Bugs, the Bugs and Daffy show was a, was a big hit as well. And that was all, um, it was a mix of original content and the old Looney Tunes, if I remember correctly. Um, you also had, from Animaniacs, a lot of spinoff shows like Pinky and the Brain. Um, you also had, what was it? Pinky, what's her name? Elvira. Elvira. No, Elmira. No, Elmira. 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 Yeah. Um, Elvira is a completely different topic in the hopper. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot less fishnets with this particular character. So, uh, so Pinky, Elmira, and Brain. Um, and then you had Tiny Toons Adventures, which I think was probably one of the original '90s animated Warner Brothers series, um, and that was all about the kids and the nieces and nephews and stuff like that of all the original Warner Brothers Looney Tunes characters. So you had um, Babs and Buster Bunny. You had yep. Dizzy Devil instead of Taz. You had Plucky Duck. Um, so And Elmira started in Tiny Tunes and then moved over to Animaniacs. Yep, yep. And then you had Freakazoid, which was all in the same universe, but it didn't cross over too often. But when it did, it was like, holy crap, Freakazoid and the Animaniacs. What the hell is going on here? Um, <laughs> you got other anime shows, especially in the early 2000s. Sailor Moon was on the WB, Dragon Ball Z, Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, I think that was all because of the success of Pokemon, uh, which started in the late 90s on the WB. They brought a lot of these other shows from Japan to play. They never brought Voltron and that always pissed me off, which is probably why I was always like a Cartoon Network fan over WB for that type of stuff is because they played it there. So on Toonami, is that what it was called? Toonami? Yep, Toonami. So WB did produce uh, Voltron the Third Dimension, which was a CGI one, but it aired on um, Fox Kids and then later on Cartoon Network and uh, USA Cartoon Cartoon. Oh, interesting. But somehow it skipped the WB. I always thought it was on WB, but somehow Voltron the Third Dimension skipped WB Network. Wow. There's so much I'm learning. This is my topic. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, So a couple others that I'd like to just quickly touch on. You also had Waynehead, which I believe was a uh, animated series that was made by uh, Damon Wayans. So um, and it was I don't know, I guess I would consider it the midpoint between like Fat Albert and um, the Boondocks. Um, (laughs) It's 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 got kind of much like, more toned down. Yeah, it's not it's not as intense as the Boondocks. It's more like a Fat Albert, almost like a Hey Arnold type comedy, but it's definitely a little bit edgier too. Um, you know, I know it's made for kids, but it definitely has a a little bit of that Damon Wayans sarcasm and kind of pushing the envelope quality about it. Um, you also had the Jackie Chan adventures, um, and then apparently. This is a very short-lived show called uh, Road Rovers, um, which is a like, oh, like I loved Road Rovers. Yeah, so it's like a it's like a all dog like tactical force basically. It's like the A team of and they're all dogs or like um, we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Um, was it Mask the Mask yes. Crusaders? Yeah, um, 
it's kind of like that, but it's all dogs. It's kind of like SWAT cats, I guess, but it's all dogs. Um, and apparently, which was a Hanna Barbera property, which I'm surprised that never made it over to the WB. I know, I know. But a, I, what I've heard recently is there's a, a petition going on online, a fairly large petition to bring back Road Rovers as a new series. Um, so like to remake it. I don't know what that would entail if they would do CGI or live action would be tough. <laughs> Dogs don't like to stand on their hind legs for too long unless there's a treat involved. So, but yeah, that would be really interesting to see what a remake of that show would look like. That's basically everything that I have. Um, you know, admittedly, I didn't watch this nearly as much as I watched other programming. You know, I watched Nickelodeon and, uh, uh, Cartoon Network a lot more for cartoons, and I watched you know TGIF and um, you know some other networks more than I did WB for, for for those types of broadcasts. But I did always like Sister Sister and Smart Guy, especially I was I, you know I was like ten years old at the time that both of those shows were popular, or twelve years old or something like that. So they were like the perfect shows, and we skipped entirely talking about Seventh Heaven. I don't know how that happened, um, but that was another huge like kind of sappy family show that lived down in syndication for decades to come yeah and the, the show lasted i want to say like nine or ten seasons like it was forever i don't know how that happened um but people love that type the of box stuff. sets for every single season do you really I do. I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but I might as well own it. Yeah, I mean, this is a safe place. I mean, it's just you, me, and the rest of the internet. You know, it's, it's no, no big deal. <laughs> it's between you, me, and the internet. It's yeah. not going to get out there. That's right. That's right. So. It was a guilty pleasure, kind of like the Gilmore Girls. And, I mean, as I said earlier, everybody watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but do you ever really remember admitting to other people that you watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer until years later when it was like a nostalgic thing to do? Yeah, because now like everyone talks about it and it's a very open thing. It's not like, uh, oh yeah, I watched that show with the blonde girl who kills vampires but also has issues in her relationships. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that's about all I have. Did you have any final thoughts, Paul? I want to say that the WB Network to me is iconic for a couple of different reasons. For one, it's one of the few, if only, broadcast networks that I can remember that came and went in our lifetimes. Like, I don't remember watching it go on air, but I know that I remember being around and being conscious of it at the time that a whole new TV network was actually coming to broadcast, you know, over broadcast air, which for someone who grew up without cable was a pretty big deal. Sure, sure. And it's, it did a really good job of evolving with the times. I mean, it was it was constantly competing with UPN, and I think initially they did a really good job of uh, cementing in shows uh, for people of different ethnic backgrounds. It was the first series that I like. Sister Sister is the first series that I can remember watching on primetime that featured an all African American class that was of my generation. Yeah, I would agree. I mean. There were, yeah, I mean, there were plenty before and after, but that was the first one that resonated with people in my age group that I can recall. Um, yeah, because fam like, Family Matters would have been sooner or earlier than that, and we, we, right. we would have been a little young. Nope, I, I was just going to say, and then as, 
as time went on and they realized their target audience was changing, they kind of started to cater more towards the teenage drama. And it's like in each section of the network, as it evolved, they kind of found their niche and ran with it. And in the end, that was probably part of their demise because they hit, you know, that's like, Oh, we hit a hit with the, the Wayans brothers. And then they had a whole bunch of shows that kind of fit in that genre. And then they had a hit with, uh, Dawson's Creek and they had a whole bunch of shows in that genre yeah. and they would kind of take these ideas and then run them to death. Sure. And then finally they started to go down the sci-fi, uh, you know, they had a hit with Smallville and then they had charmed and then they had birds of prey and they would kind of just like, go too far one direction instead of focusing on one show. Yeah. But I have to give them credit for evolving over time as opposed to just being status quo. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, when you start looking at some of these shows, a lot of them, like you mentioned earlier, ran for a season or two, but there's a lot of them that ran literally until the network ended in 2006. Like a lot of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks volumes as to having some understanding of who their target audience was and really being able to deliver on that. But I agree. It's really a shame that that it doesn't exist anymore. Um, as we mentioned earlier, at the top of the show had kind of a joke. In 2009, um, they did create a WB channel, which is a, a cable network, which I think covers some of these shows. And they, I think they have some of their own original content too. But because it's not... You know, a broadcast network it's a it's a cable network it doesn't really have this the same um footprint i guess for lack of a better term well i guess that wraps up our discussion on the wb and kids wb so now we're going to be moving on to some nostalgia I have devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is closest will get to lead their chat next week. Adam has guess who, and I'm assuming someone's going to tell me at some point. And Paul has the mighty Morphin (laughs) Power Rangers. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. I don't know about my (laughs) co-host. I'm just going to assume that he is ready. So we are going to be discussing one of the shows that we talked about. So... The Oblongs was an animated TV series focused on a family that, due to the high levels of radiation where they live in the valley, has made them all deformed or disabled in some way. The premiere on the WB uh, was April 1, 2001, but they failed to ever connect with a particular audience. So on May 20 of the same year, the show ended prematurely, leaving a certain number of already completed episodes unaired. How many episodes were unaired on the WB? Well, the show made it into syndication, so I'm going to say 20. All right, Adam. I'm going to say 44. All right. (laughs) Paul, you are closest. Um, The correct answer is five. So there was actually only 13 (laughs) episodes total. Um, and they didn't air five of them. 
Um, wow. So that surprises me because I know they ran it with home movies as part of Adult yeah. Swim on Cartoon Network. So I thought for sure, although if they owned it, they already owned the rights to it. So it didn't need to be syndicated. Yeah. So the tiebreaker <laughs> we already discussed, you know, had there been a tiebreaker, uh, was what network's late night programming block eventually picked the show up? Adult Swim? Cartoon yeah. Network? Yep. Cartoon Network, Adult Swim. Yep. Uh, Teletoons, Teletoon Unleashed would have also been an acceptable answer. Um, but yeah. Well, there you have it. I will be guiding us through the land of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And Adam still has Guess Who? Um, I don't get it. Are we ever going to tell people what that topic is? Or are we just going to keep them in suspense until someone guesses it? it? It literally could be weeks until we get to it. And you guys know I do not handle surprises well. Dude, I, I already explained this earlier. Follow along. It's Guess Who? Someone really needs to get Brian his meds. All right, we're also going to go to the hopper of imagination to get me a new topic. <laughs> Man, Adam really, really will read anything on the teleprompter. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're going to want to remind all of our listeners as well that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, like Megan did with the WB Network, you can submit those on our website at www.datingourselvespodcast.com. I am operating the hopper. Stand clear, please. (laughs) Your categories for this week are television show, feature film, potpourri. Oh, potpourri. My goodness. That smell all fancy. Um, let me think. Uh... Let's do let's do TV series. You sure you don't want to do potpourri? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do TV series. Well, I tried. <laughs> you have selected Cheers. Oh, awesome! The world famous sitcom where everyone knows your name. That's awesome. Well, that that's a love ballad to functional alcoholics alike. <laughs> and for uh, those of us who don't know what Vera looks like, uh, be sure to check that episode out. But in all seriousness, guys, uh, thanks again for joining us on Dating Ourselves. Be sure to check out. Uh, our next episode in two weeks where Paul will be guiding us through the land of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and then future episodes where Adam will be talking about some topic that no one will tell me about, apparently called Guess Who, um, and I will be <laughs> discussing Cheers. Uh, thanks again, guys. Well, if you liked what you heard, there's more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com. To learn more about us and the show, you can check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got mail. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Please be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of the throwbackion. Ooh, throwbackion. We post additional content on Facebook at facebook.com slash datingourselvespodcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us at datingourselvespodcast, and we do the Twitter thing too at datedpodcast. 
And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dating. See you guys. See you. Bye, this is Juliana. Really <laughs>